I'm reading this morning from 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 14. Now Saul and his son Jonathan and the people who were present with them were staying in Geba of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. And the raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shul, and another company turned toward Beth Horon, and another company turned toward the border which overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now, no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fix the hoes. So it came about on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son, Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Didn't you do a great job reading all those difficult names? (laughs) She had a tough job today. I remember uh, watching the old TV show, Mission Impossible. Now, I know there's four movies out now, and there's a new one out, Mission Impossible, but I'm thinking of the old TV show. Some of you saw it. Every week, they would have this new mission that would come through this little tape recorder, and it would be truly an impossible situation. Overwhelming odds. Insurmountable. And then, of course, the tape would self-destruct after 10 seconds. It would burn up, and they would go off and fight their mission, and... They would use their ingenuity, their brains, their technological abilities and the latest uh, and their courage and their teamwork and all this. And by the end of the show, it was all accomplished. What a great thing. (laughs) Well, in our passage today, Israel faces an impossible situation, a mission impossible, so to speak. And the author goes out of his way to make sure we know that it is an impossible situation. But in steps Jonathan, 
the son of Saul, who by faith believes that nothing is impossible for God. No matter how impossible the situation looks, nothing is impossible with God. And so through Jonathan's faith, he shows us what true courageous faith looks like. He helps us see that faith is really our resource, maybe not technology and ingenuity and all of that, but actually what our greatest resource is in facing a difficult world is faith. Learning to live by a courageous faith. Because every one of us in this room, at times in our lives, faces impossible situations. Situations that for all practical purposes, there are insurmountable odds. We do not have the resources to deal with these situations. But with God, all things are possible. He's not bound by the impossible. In fact, if you walk with God very long, you pretty quickly learn that it's actually His plan to put us in impossible situations. Things that are too big for us to handle, where our human resources are worthless, so that we will all learn to live like Jonathan, to learn to live as people with courageous faith. Pray with me if you would. Lord, as we look at this text together, speak to us by your Spirit. Challenge us. Lord, help us understand more what it means to see you as you really are and to trust you as you really are and to step out into life, this crazy world in which we live, with courageous faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look first at this impossible situation that Israel is in. I want to start in verse 15 of chapter 13 first, where it says, Samuel rose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Now Saul and his son Jonathan and the people who were present with them were staying in Gibeah of Benjamin, while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Let me remind you of the situation. I want to show you a satellite picture picture of this area because we know where they were. The Philistines, as you recall from previous weeks, were camped here in Michmash on the high ground. They had a huge army, as you remember. 30,000 chariots, we're told. Huge infantry. All kinds of people. It was a wild place and the army was ready to attack Israel. Israel, on the other hand, is on the other side of this big Canyon. We'll look at this in a moment. And they were down this way in Gebah, Saul and Jonathan, about two miles away. Far enough to be a little bit safe, but close enough to hear the rumblings of this massive Philistine army. It was a terrifying army, powerful army. Saul and Jonathan had 600 men with them, and that was it. Had to be terrifying. Then verse 17, it says, The raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. That word for raiders is literally the Hebrew word destroyers. Same word that's used in Exodus chapter 12 where it says the angel of destruction, the destroyer came and killed all the firstborn of Egypt at the Passover night. As you recall that story of redemption. 
So these particular groups that went out from, is, from Israel were destroyers. They were the elite troops. They were the special forces of the Philistines. And they went out in three different directions to block any reinforcements from getting to Saul and Jonathan and to prevent them from escaping. This was a difficult situation. <laughs> They'd set up a blockade, essentially. But more than that, we saw in this passage that Val just read that no blacksmith could be found in Israel because the Philistines had removed them all. They didn't want them making any of their own weapons. It says they had no weapons in Israel except Saul and Jonathan had a sword and that's it. Everybody else who in an agricultural community had to work the fields with their plows and their hoes, it said that the Philistines wouldn't even let them have a blacksmith so they could sharpen their own farm implements. They had to go down, travel, leave their work, leave their fields, leave their families, go down a number of miles to where the Philistines were, where their blacksmiths were, and have their tools sharpened and play, pay exorbitant prices to have that happen. Now, as you think about this whole situation, think about how it must have felt to be an Israelite in those days. They were oppressed. They were oppressed in about every way you can imagine. They were oppressed militarily, socially, economically, technologically. They didn't have access to the latest technology by their hated enemies. This is a bad situation. <laughs> this feels pretty hopeless, doesn't it? What kind of impossible situations has God placed you in? Places that feel overwhelming. Where you look at yourself and you look at the situation and you realize, I don't have the resources to handle this. Maybe a relationship you can't fix that you've tried and tried and you just can't work it out. Maybe you've faced a sudden divorce. Some of us in this room have where you've been left and you're struggling with the results of that and it feels overwhelming to survive on your own or as a single parent. Lost your job maybe and the benefits are running out and you can't get a job and you're feeling overwhelmed by your situation. Maybe you're trapped in a sin that you just can't seem to overcome and it feels overwhelming to you. Maybe you have a past, like someone I talked to recently, who a past that keeps clinging to you and you just can't seem to forgive yourself or forget and it seems to keep dragging you down. Maybe you face an uncertain future. You don't know what's ahead. You're wondering. You're afraid. Maybe you're aging now and your body's beginning to break down and you realize you're not long for this world and that's starting to overwhelm you. Whatever it is, whatever looks overwhelming to you, and you look at that and your meager resources are far too little to handle this. That's what we're talking about, a mission impossible. And let me say, if you are feeling that way now, good. <laughs> now, I know that doesn't sound very compassionate, but you know what? Good. You're right where God wants you. Just as he put Israel in that situation, God loves to put us in situations where we have no 
resources to handle it on our own and we need God to step in or nothing will work out. We need him to work. So you are right where God wants you, ready for your mission impossible. So how can we have a courageous faith in the light of those kinds of circumstances in our lives? Well, let's look at Jonathan, but I want to highlight first where Saul is, his father. Beginning of chapter 14, Jonathan's ready to step out. says, come on, armor bearer, let's step out and cross over to the Philistines. Let's take them on. But notice where Saul is, verse 2. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, priest of the Lord, was with him. Now think for a minute about where Saul is. We're pretty sure where Gibeah was. They were originally in Gibeah, which was two miles away from the Philistine army. But Saul now has moved his men four more miles away, six miles away from the Philistine army. So he's kind of pulled further out of the action. Jonathan has stayed up close, but Saul has pulled further out of the action. He's got his men around him to protect him, and he's even got the religious implements, the priests, the ephod, so he could call on God if he chose, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And it's very interesting. It says he was sitting under a pomegranate tree. Now, up to this point in Scripture, pomegranates were a sign of luxury, sign of wealth, a sign of leisure. So I just picture Saul under this pomegranate tree. He's in his lounge chair. He's got a little fruity drink, you know, sucking on the straw and kind of hanging out. And Jonathan is up right at the Philistine front lines. Why is Saul where he is? Well, as we've seen already about Saul, and as we'll see as we continue to move on, he's living by fear. Saul is a man who is controlled by fear. And that's always the contrast with faith, isn't it? That's our struggle for every one of us. Will I give in to fear and let it control me? Or will I live by faith? Believing what God says, stepping out to do what he says. That's the contrast here. And I, I've just seen in, in us as believers that that's the tension, isn't it? That's the battle for us. We all struggle with fear. We'd rather stay safe under the pomegranate tree. Get out of the action where it's comfortable and kind of just wait for the Lord to return. But God calls us to be courageous to step out and be on the front lines like Jonathan, to help bring in the kingdom of God, to serve Him. We're so afraid because we feel vulnerable. That's a good word, vulnerable. We don't like being vulnerable, do we? It comes from the Latin word vulnare, which means to wound. We've experienced wounds, and we don't want to experience anymore. I remember... A time I'd been in ministry for several years and been through some really hard things. Betrayal in relationships. Had to leave a church. It was very difficult for me. And at that point, I just wanted to close in and just stay safe. Sit under my pomegranate tree and just pastor, but keep my head out of the action. My life got narrower and narrower out of fear. 
But then God began to prompt me and force me and push me to be on the front lines again. Some of you are there. Some of you are struggling with that because you're afraid. God wants us to not be a Saul, but instead to be a Jonathan. Let's recognize, though, that the life of faith doesn't mean you aren't afraid. doesn't mean you're fearless. Faith means you trust God to work, and so you step out to follow Him even when you feel overwhelmed by fear. Faith means not being controlled by the fear, but being controlled by what God says and stepping out for Him. The result of Saul's life is, and his choices here is it says the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone, the end of verse 3. I take that to mean that they didn't have a clue about what God was all about. They were so worried about staying safe six miles from the action that they didn't even see God's hand at work and so their faith couldn't be prompted even more. Well, what do we learn about Jonathan's faith as we go on? Well, let's look first at the attitude of courageous faith. What, what needs to be your perspective if you are going to be a person who lives courageously for God? Starting in verse 4, he describes this scene here that we see on the overhead, this big pass here, Bozes and Sena. He describes that it's a huge canyon. You can go there today. And on each side, there's really rugged hills. And the Hebrew word that's used for crag is the translation, but it's tooth. Sharp, rugged teeth of rocks. And they're called names, Bozes and Sena. Bozes means sunny, we think. We aren't sure, but it's probably the north side where the sun's shone on it and it was bright and exposed. Sena means thorn bush, blackberry bush. It was probably real bushy and difficult, really difficult to get down and up the other side to make it all the way to the Philistines if you were going to do battle with them. And then we see Jonathan in the face of this situation, verse 6 says, Come to his armor bearer. Let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. First thing we learn about Jonathan's faith is that it's a faith that depends on what he believes. Faith always depends on what you believe. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about the obstacles you're facing. Faith depends on what you believe. Notice how Jonathan has a very different view of all that than Saul does. For example, take the view of the enemy. Saul sees this huge army. He's terrified. He's pulling back. He's going to play it safe because they're so overwhelming. But what does Jonathan and remember, it's only him and his armor bearer with his vast army. But how does he view them? How does he describe them? Uncircumcised. For him, that's all that's really important. The circumcised were the Israelites, God's people. The uncircumcised were everybody else. And Jonathan says, if they're not on God's side, then they're losers. We don't have to be afraid of them. God's on our side. God's not on their side. They're not chosen by God. They're rejected and therefore totally subject to His 
power. I love that. He just dismisses all their might and their power because they're not on God's side. What's his view of God? Well, Saul's view of God is somehow he's not even involved. I mean, he has the ephod, the priest, so he's kind of gathered religiosity around him, but he's not using him. He's not trusting God. He's not looking to God. But Jonathan, Jonathan's view of God is amazing. He says, the Lord is not restrained to save by many or few. God's not hindered in any way. There could be a billion people in the army, but God's not hindered by that. God's not restrained by circumstances. Nothing you face is beyond God's power. Jonathan's perspective is God is not limited by anything on earth. He's not hindered in any way. He is absolutely sovereign. So the real question is not, does God have enough power? Of course he does. The question is, am I in line with him? Am I on his side and fighting his battles with him? That's the real question. Jesus put it this way, nothing is impossible with God. But it's the same faith that Jonathan is expressing here. How about his view of himself? Now, it's kind of implicit in the text, not explicit, but it's how does Jonathan view himself from that phrase in chapter 6? Well, I think he sees himself as on God's side. I'm in his army. (laughs) He's my warrior. I'm on his side, and so I have nothing to fear. Saul's view of himself is, I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. And if we look at ourselves, that's always how we're going to feel, right? Of course we don't have what it takes. But if we see ourselves on God's side, it means that God and you are always a majority. I don't care how big a situation you face, God and you are always a majority because God is our warrior. He is God. So how you think about yourself, about God, and about your obstacles will determine your faith. Do you see through the eyes of Scripture? Do you choose to believe what God says? That's the bottom line. And folks, that's why we need to be in the Scriptures so that we're taking on God's perspective of what we're facing. We need to be hearing from Him and having Him change our thinking. I find that so much of my work with people is helping them just understand what God says about them and who God is so they can begin to trust that. So faith depends on what you believe. What else do we learn about Jonathan's faith from this verse? Very important. Faith leaves it all in God's hands. Where do we see that? There's a little word there that's very important. Perhaps. Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord's not restrained or hindered by many or by few. Why is that word perhaps so important? Well, because Jonathan, by using the word perhaps, is letting God be God. We don't always understand God's will It's hard sometimes. And so sometimes we have to hold life with an open hand and say, perhaps. The commentator Fokelman says this, perhaps is not vacillation and does not have the tone of cool calculation of risks, but it has the tone of respect. Jonathan's hope has no intention to a prejudicial effect on God, trying to force God into something, 
but it respects God's liberty to act or not. You see, that's an important part of faith. Faith leaves it in God's hands and lets God be God. My friend Brian Morgan, who's coming to teach in the men's retreat in three weeks, so this is a little advertisement. Men, you can sign up next week at the table in the back. I encourage you to come and hear Brian. He says this, Some of you may have had the unpleasant experience of an overzealous and ill-formed believer exhorting you that if you just had enough faith, God would answer all your requests and even heal all your diseases. I applaud their confidence, but without this all-important perhaps, they lack the humility that fosters healthy relationships with God and others. Authentic faith assesses obstacles in the light of God's sovereignty, coupled with a humility that grants God the freedom to act when and how he desires. Folks, that's faith. I'm leaving it in your hands, God, and you choose to do what's best. I'm trusting you. That's faith. Faith is also, we see in verse 7, contagious. Notice his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart, Jonathan. Turn yourself and I am with you according to your heart. Literally, I'm with you according to your heart. How does this armor bearer have this kind of faith? I mean, he's, he's going with this crazy guy, Jonathan, to face this entire army of the Philistines. How does he have that kind of faith? Well, faith is contagious. He's been hanging around Jonathan. And he's seen Jonathan's trust in God and he's willing to come alongside. And now he becomes an encouragement to Jonathan. So they're stepping out together. He says, my heart is with your heart, Jonathan. Don't we need people like this in our lives? I so encourage you to have somebody in your life who's a person of faith that you hang out with regularly, that you encourage each other to trust God more, to step out courageously to follow Him, to step out to serve Him in new ways, in scary ways, to follow Him, to share your faith, to whatever, that we each need at least one person in our lives that challenges us to trust God more. Next we learn about faith in verses 8 through 10, that faith looks pretty crazy to worldly eyes. <laughs> faith looks pretty crazy sometimes to worldly eyes. Listen to verses 8 through 10. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands. And this shall be the sign to us. Jonathan's saying, hey, here's a plan. If we stay here where we're nice and secure and safe and they say we're coming to you, then it's not God's will. But if they say, come on over, climb through this huge canyon, which probably took hour, two hours of hard climbing down and then back up the other side to the Philistine garrison on the high ground on the other side, if they say, come on over and we'll teach you a lesson, then God's in it. Doesn't that sound like a great plan? <laughs> uh, 
Robert Bergen says this about it. Jonathan's plan for fighting the Philistines defies all military logic. First, he would give up the element of surprise. We will reveal ourselves. Let them see us. Second, he'll only avoid a skirmish if they say, we'll come to you. On the other hand, he'll attack if they challenged him to scale the sheer rock wall and then climb up the other side and then take them on. The plan is so absurd that if it did succeed, it could only be because the Lord has given them into our hands. That's the life of faith, folks. (laughs) Sometimes it looks crazy from the world around us. But trusting God means stepping out into situations that just defy logic. Because God wants us to step out and trust Him in a way that will demonstrate that all the glory goes to him. He accomplished it, not us. Like George Mueller, one of my heroes of the faith in the 1800s in England, decided early on, he said, you know what, I want to start a ministry to orphans. I want to reach out. He ended up starting five major orphanages and established over 100 schools in England. But he decided from day one, he said, I will never ask for support. I'm just going to trust God to provide. And in all the years, God provided. Now that's absurd. That's not good missionary strategy, right? (laughs) And yet God worked and God got the glory for what George Mueller did. Jonathan leaves it in God's hands with his plan, but he's kind of testing God's will here a little bit, right? You know, isn't it interesting where he says, Okay, well, if this happens, then it's God's will. If this happens, then it must not be God's will. So let's talk a little bit here about finding God's will. How do you know if something is God's will? How do you determine that? Well, the first thing I notice about what Jonathan does is he is stepping out to fight a battle for God. Now, if Saul were back under the pomegranate tree saying, I want to know God's will, should I drink pomegranate juice or orange juice? You know, probably God is not going to be interested in giving his will in that situation. No, Jonathan's stepping out to trust him and say, God, I want to serve you. Now show me how you want me to serve you. If you're doing that, if that's your heart, I guarantee you God will show you. You can step out to trust him. Should I go on a short-term mission this summer, as Brian encouraged us to? If you're willing to step out and say, God, if you open this door, then I'm going to trust it is from you. I think that. But if this happens instead, then I'll trust it's not from you. I think that's perfectly legitimate to do in seeking God's will. But some keys. Make sure you're not acting out of fear. Make sure you're not acting out of your own pride. Pray about it. Ask others who have a strong faith for input. But then step out. And let me just say, often we've heard, if it's God's will, you'll have an inner peace. So depend on your feelings to determine God's will. Frankly, I think that is foolish. Because your feelings go up and down for all kinds of reasons. And as I've said, faith is often a victory over fear. You may be terrified, and it may be God's will. So I don't think you can depend on this inner peace. Now, you may feel, you should feel a deep confidence deep down that God's calling you to this, even though you may be terrified to step out. 
But throughout the scriptures, people who followed God's will were often very afraid. Moses was scared to follow God. Joshua was afraid, and God had to keep saying, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And all through the scriptures, we see that. God, if God's calling you to live by faith, you may be afraid, but he's calling you to live by that faith, not by your fear. Well, what are the actions of a courageous faith? Verse 11 through 15, let me read those verses. When both of them, Jonathan and the armor bearer, revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. Literally, we'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> so the very thing Jonathan said, Okay, if they call us to crawl across that huge canyon and crawl up the other side, then it's God's will. That's what happened. So it goes on. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet. You get this picture of just climbing down, crawling down the mountain and crawling up the other side to get there. Exhausted by the time he gets there with his armor bearer behind him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer put some to death after him. That first slaughter with which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp of the Philistines, in the field and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, even the destroyers, the elite troops. And the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. <laughs> wow. Jonathan steps out, convinced that God is in this. He takes the hard path, climbs down the hill and up the other side, Exhausted after the climb, kills 20 men of the elite troops of the Philistines. And the narrator makes it like no big deal. Of course, if you're following God, it's no big deal. And the entire Philistine army gets terrified because of this little thing. And we'll see next week what happens as a result. You see, when we step out in faith, God is going to accomplish what his will is. Those of you who go to the Senegal meeting in a few minutes, the vision meeting after this service, you'll hear how God encouraged people to step out into an impossible, difficult situation and God accomplished great things through those who were willing to trust Him. Why is not much said about the battle? Because faith is what God is after. A faith that says, God, I'm with you. I will follow you. I'll step out and I'm going to trust you. You do what's best. Perhaps you'll do it my way, but perhaps you'll do it a different way. But I will follow you. You do your thing and I'll follow you. I don't know where you are today. Again, what impossible situation God is calling you to step out in. Maybe you are an older person who is saying to message like this, what can I do? I can't step out. Well, maybe for you, stepping out to trust God courageously in faith is learning to accept your limitations, to pray for those around you, 
and to serve him right where you are by praying for others and putting your hope in heaven and simply being kind to your caretakers. (laughs) All of you are in a situation where you can trust God more. We all are. And I love the result here. What happens? Not only are a few people killed, but the entire Philistine army becomes terrified. God honors faith. He honors the faith of one, simply one man or one woman who is willing to step out and say, Yes, God, I am yours. I will step out and trust you with my life in the face of the impossible. Like a William Wilberforce who said, Lord, I think you're calling me to get rid of slavery in England. He worked 40 years and God accomplished that through him as he was willing to keep trusting him. As so often in 1 Samuel, the contrast is between fear and faith. So I challenge you, I challenge me today. Will we be people who live by fear? Or will, like Saul? (laughs) Or will we be people who, like Jonathan, are willing to live out a courageous faith, even when we feel afraid, to believe that God will do what he says he will do? I want to close with a poem I read in little devotional streams in the desert. When nothing whereon to lean remains, when strongholds crumble to dust, when nothing is sure but that God still reigns, that is just the time to trust. Tis better to walk by faith and sight in this path of yours and mine and the pitch black night when there's no outer light is the time for faith to shine. Let's pray. Lord, your word again is so true to the heart. We have to admit that we all struggle with fear. And we struggle to trust you courageously. Thank you for the example of Jonathan. Thank you for your spirit in us that prompts us to step out to trust you. May we be people who enter the battle who stay on the front lines and trust you to work in your way as a sovereign God through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.